In September 1857, a passenger steamer ship called the SS Central America set out from California. The ship was carrying 500 passengers and tons of gold from the California mountains. During the journey, the ship sunk in a hurricane 200 miles off the coast of Car Carolina. Long forgotten about for more than a century, the tragic story of this shipwrecked steamer resurfaced in 1989 when Tommy Thompson, an ocean engineer, sailed into Norfolk Harbor with over 10 tons of pioneer gold. Using a combination of oceanography, computer science, and information theory, Thompson's team recovered mint state coins, antique bars, and sparkling gold dust from 8,000 feet below the surface of the sea, proving everyone wrong who said it could not be done. The SS Central America sat for 132 years, 200 miles offshore, at a distance of about two miles below the ocean's surface, a depth at which she was assumed to be unrecoverable until 1989, when a deep water research vessel sailed into the harbor at Norfolk, Virginia, fat with salvaged gold coins and bullion, estimated to be worth $1 billion. Wow. Incredible. Incredible story. An incredible treasure that was lost for nearly 150 years. It almost makes you want to go after some lost treasure, doesn't it? Makes you almost want to go get one of those metal detectors and go out to the beach and Maybe down by Stewart or Port St. Lucie along the treasure coast of Florida and maybe see what you can find. Well, you know what? There is a lost treasure that's worth going after. What lost treasure is that, you may ask? The lost treasure of the spiritual disciplines of Jesus Christ. The spiritual disciplines of Christ have nearly become lost treasures. In a world filled with material treasure and spiritual guidance from much of Christendom to gain that material treasure, the true treasures of spiritual disciplines of Jesus have nearly become extinct from the dialogue and discussion in many Christian circles. We need to rediscover the treasures of the spiritual disciplines that Christ modeled for us. Jesus Christ lived his life with deep spiritual disciplines. He was committed to his core to those disciplines, yet he was a man who showed us how to live this life full of the Holy Spirit and committed to the cause. In the book of Hebrews, the writer tells us how the Father wants to discipline and to bring discipline into our lives as believers. The fact of the matter is that God is thrilled that you are saved and a part of the family of God. Now, He wants to make you a disciple. He wants to bring godly disciplines into your life. The godly disciplines that Jesus lived and modeled for us. In Hebrews 12, we are told how that discipline can be realized in our lives. The writer compares the Christian life to that of running a race. 
To run, compete in, and win a race takes tremendous discipline. To run the race of the Christian life takes discipline as well. By living in the spiritual disciplines of Christ, that is how you will come to find the abundant life that Jesus promised in John chapter 10, verse 10. We are given keys to godly discipline here in Hebrews 12. First, faithfulness is the key. Second, focus on Jesus. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and the keys to finding and developing spiritual disciplines in our lives. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. If you are going to develop spiritual disciplines, the spiritual disciplines of Jesus Christ, you have to realize that the key to developing spiritual disciplines in your life is faithfulness. Faithfulness is the key. Faithfulness is what is required to develop the disciplines in your life, whether they are physical disciplines, whether they are financial disciplines, or whether they are spiritual disciplines. It doesn't matter what kind of disciplines you want to develop in your life. Let me tell you this morning, it's faithfulness that is the key to developing those spiritual disciplines. I mean, if you set out to be disciplined in a certain area and, and, and you commit to it and you say, hey, I'm going to commit to this, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to do it. And you only last a week, and on the eighth day, after you've made the commitment, oh, I'm just no longer faithful to the deal, you know, you're not going to get very far. You're not going to be disciplined. You're not going to be disciplined in that area that you've committed to. And that's why it is that faithfulness is the key to the disciplines in your life. It's the key to developing the spiritual disciplines. If you're going to do something, it's a good idea to be faithful to it. And another thing, it's a good idea to learn from others who have gone before. Those who have done it. Those who have been faithful in those things that you want to do. It's even a good idea to, to, to look to those who did very well. If you want to learn faithfulness, it's a good idea to look at those who had tremendous faith. You need to look at those who were faithful. Hey, you want to be faithful? You want to develop spiritual disciplines or really any discipline in your life? Hey, look to someone who was faithful in that discipline. Look to someone who, who did it, who, who succeeded at it. The writer of Hebrews here in chapter 12 uses a sports analogy to get his point across. I love sports analogies, don't you? Now, there's a commercial out that you've seen that uh, I believe it's FedEx 
where they're sitting around the table and they begin to talk about their shipping needs and they say, you know, hey, guess what? You know, we, we, we've got a, you know, we've got a, you know, pounded here. We, we want to win the Super Bowl here. And then all of a sudden an NFL player shows up and says, now, hey, 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 you know, back off on the spiritual, uh, the, the sports analogies. You've taken it one step too far. You know what? I like sports analogies. And you know, the reason why I think we all like sports analogies, for the most part, most of us, is, is that we begin to understand you use the sports analogy and you understand the dedication, the faithfulness, the, the perseverance, the discipline that it takes to do what, it, uh, what happens in sports, to win a championship, to, to win a World Series, to win a Super Bowl, to, 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 to play well uh, on the PGA Tour. Whatever it is, we know that it was tremendous discipline in the, the lives of those athletes that allowed them to do what they, to do what they did, to do what they accomplished. Now... We know that when you think of the greats in different sports, you think of baseball greats. I don't know who you think of when you think of baseball greats, but uh, you think of maybe Mickey Mantle, or some of you older guys out there. You think of uh, Hank Aaron. You think of Nolan Ryan. You think of some of these greats. How about football greats? Who do you think of when you think of football greats? I think of Joe Montana, uh, John Elway, maybe going back a little bit further, maybe a Roger Staubach or a Terry Bradshaw. Man, these guys were greats. How about basketball greats? I think of Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, and of course you can't talk about basketball greats with out talking about Michael Jordan, huh? Many players today in these sports draw on inspiration from the dedication, preparation, and skills of these players. So what about the race of faith that this writer talks about? What about developing spiritual disciplines? What about this idea of faithfulness being the key? Uh, who are the greats in the faith? Who are the greats in in walking and running the race of faith. Chapter 12 of Hebrews starts with the word therefore. You notice, look down at verse 1. It says, therefore we also. Therefore. And as I've said before in other studies, as we've gone through the scriptures, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, the thing you should ask yourself is, what is the therefore, therefore? It's a good idea. What, what is the therefore, therefore? This, therefore, is there to point us back to what the writer has already written about. It says here that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses in verse 12. But he says, therefore, but he's actually referring back to the whole last section. We know it as chapter 12, or really the hall of faith. The hall of faith. And in, in, in chapter 12 of Hebrews, he writes about the, just the greats. Uh, of the Bible and the Old Testament, those who were faithful, those who were dedicated in their walk, those who were faithful and showed faithfulness uh, as they lived it out. Now here it says, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Hebrews uses the athletic imagery of a Greek amphitheater that has rows and rows of spectators that create really a great cloud or a large group of witnesses. Now, these witnesses that he's already written about, really, this whole last chapter of chapter 11, you'll have to read that. I don't have time to really read that for you this morning. But 
this great cloud of, of witnesses, they don't nearly witness as just people who were kind of looking on, kind of saying, oh, come on, you know, you can do it, you can do it. No, no, no. They witness from the historical record of their faithfulness. And that is why the writer of Hebrews has written these things down for us. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, uh, Noah did this. By faith, Moses did this. It was through their great faithfulness. And from that faithfulness and the historical record that we have of it, that we, that they witness to us, that they witness to us of, of, of what it takes. It takes faith and it takes faithfulness to develop a spiritual walk with God. It takes faithfulness to develop spiritual disciplines in your life. Now the writer has just finished telling us about many of these greats of the faith in chapter 11, and we can learn from their faith and their faithfulness. And I want to highlight three of them for you. I want to highlight Noah, Abraham, and Moses. The faith and faithfulness of these three men is a response to the three callings of God in Scripture. There are three calls of God in the race of faith, the call to salvation, the call to discipleship, and the call to servanthood. Noah, back in verse 7 of chapter 11, Noah's faith is an example of salvation faith. What was it that Noah was asked to do? He was asked to build an ark. He was asked to build an ark because there was going to be to come a, a, a rain. There was going to come a flood. And, 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 and God asked him to, to build an ark so that what? So, so that he would be saved from the rain, so that he would be saved from the flood, so his family would be saved from the flood. And he, and he, and Noah preached and, and proclaimed this, uh, destruction that was coming from the water, from the rain. And, 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 and he told all these people, hey, you know what? I, I'm building this boat. And, and if you want to get on in and, and be saved and be protected, hey, the door's wide open. But there was a time that God told Noah, hey, I want you to get into the ark. Take your family and get into the ark. And you know what? The Bible says in the book of Genesis that the hand of God literally shut the door and the rain began and the waters began to pour forth from, from, from literally the center of the earth. Talk about, uh, you know, some people say, oh, well, you know, you can't have that big of a flood, you know, from rain. <laughs> you know, it wasn't just a rain coming down, although it was rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And it was probably like one of those Florida rains. You know, but it was water also coming up from the core of the earth, too. And it literally destroyed uh, everything that was there, except for those who were in the ark. And so it was by the faith of Moses that he was literally able to be saved. And it's his faith that models to us a response to the call to salvation. Hey, guess what? There's coming another destruction, the Bible says. The first time it was by water, but guess what? There's coming another destruction. And God has opened the door for you and I to respond to Him and to come inside the family of God where you and I can be saved. But guess what? There's going to be a coming time when God, by His hand, is going to close that door. And if you respond to the call of salvation and have the faith and dedication you too can be saved. And it was by faith that Noah built the ark. And by building the ark, he, he saved himself and his family. Now, in chapter 11, verse 8, it talks about Abraham. Abraham's faith is an example of 
the faith of a true disciple. The faith of a true disciple. And I kind of want to focus on Abraham a little bit this morning. Abraham's faith is that faith of a true disciple. By faith, Abraham obeyed God. He obeyed God. He was told to go out to a place that he would receive as an inheritance from the Lord, even though he did not know where he was going. When Abraham received the word from the Lord, he says, hey, I want you to go to a, to a, to a, to a new land. I want you to leave your family. I want you to go. I, 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 I want you to, to go and I'm going to show you this place that you're going to receive as an inheritance that your descendants will receive as an inheritance. Now, let me tell you, it takes tremendous faith and obedience to be able to say, hey, man, God said it. That's it. I'm going to do it. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what God's asked you to do, regardless of what God's asked me to do. Now, think about it. Abraham lived in Ur of the Chaldeans, which is, as we know today, in southern Iraq. It's actually right on the border between Iraq and Kuwait today. But he was told to go to the land of Canaan and to leave his family. To leave his family. You know, God asks us to do some things. You know, and some of those things are difficult. Sometimes uh, God asks us to do some things that, that, that you know what, we've got we've to decide if we're going to do them. We've got to decide, hey, I'm going to be obedient to this. You know, it was a real decision. A real decision to say, you know what, I'm going to get up from my home. I'm going to get up from my home and I'm going to go to a place, uh, you know, this God out here is asking me to leave and go to this place and, and, and I'm going to go. I'm going to do it. I'm going to leave the family behind. I, I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to do what God's asked me to do. And God's asked us to do s- some things in the Bible uh, as we walk with Him. They're called spiritual disciplines. And you know, to be obedient to those and to be faithful to those, you know, sometimes we've got to make decisions in our lives that are tough, just like the decision that Abraham made, you know? It's, it's, it's sometimes it comes down to those things of, you know what? I, I can't stay here and obey the Lord. Abraham couldn't stay in Ur of the Chaldeans and obey the Lord and, and, and set out so that he and his descendants would receive the, 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 the inheritance of, of, of the land that God wanted to give him. And just like that, you and I need to obey the Lord. We need to have that obedience in the, in the Lord. And it starts really with just faith, believing God. Saying, God, you're going to do these tremendous things in my life. Oh, you're going you're to bring this inheritance about into my life. You're going you're to bring tremendous abundant life in, into, into my existence because you, you've said, hey, you know, you, you're going to come in and you're going to lead me. You're going to guide me. You're going you're to discipline me. You're going to make me your disciple. And if, I, and if I'll commit to those things, if I'll... If I'll be faithful in those things. If I'll obey you, Lord, in those things, oh, Jesus, you're going to do some tremendous things in my life. And we need, the, we need the faith of an Abraham, don't we, to respond to the Lord. Now, the last thing is uh, we need a faith like Moses. Verse 24 and 26 through 26 of, of Hebrews 11 talks about Moses. Moses' faith is an example of the call to servanthood. It's that that call to to serve the Lord, to to serve others, to not be so focused upon ourselves. Moses had a great situation. 
You know the story back from Exodus. His mother put him in the basket, put him in the Nile, and it was the Pharaoh's daughter who came along and found the babe. And, and, and Moses grew up in the, temp, in the, in the, in the, in the palace. Of Egypt. He, he grew up with everything. He grew up with the education and the, and, and, and just everything right at his fingertips. Egypt at the time was, was, was the powerhouse of the world. It had everything, the riches and, 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 and everything that was going on there. My goodness, he, he grew up in, in the palace. He, he had everything. He had a cushy situation. But, but the, but the Bible says there in Hebrews 11 that by faith, he responded to the call of God on his life to serve his people. By faith, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. By faith, he refused the pleasures of sin. By faith, he became a servant to the people of God to lead them out of the bondage of Egypt. And so, hey, you know what? When you're walking that road of spiritual discipline, when you're walking that road of faithfulness, Man, we need the faith of a Moses that says, you know what? I could go and do this, and I could have this, and I could have all the, the world wants me to have. I could take some pleasure in, 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 in this sin or, 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 or that activity over there. But there comes a point in time where you say, you know what? God's called me to be disciplined. God's called me to be a disciple of His. And by faith, we say, you know what? We're going we're gonna to reject the pleasures of sin. We're going to reject being the son or daughter of the world. And we're going to be the son and daughter of the Most High God. And if, and if we'll take a little lesson there from Moses on his faith and his faithfulness, wow, we can, we can learn a lot. Now, one of the keys to discipline and faithfulness is getting rid of sin and the other things that weigh you down. Look back in Hebrews 12 where he says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Hey, if we're going to be disciplined in 2006, if we're going to be faithful in 2006, you know what? Hey, we've got to get rid of some things in our lives. You, you, you can't commit to one thing and, and, and stay over here committed to this other thing. You know, when, when you get married, as a man, you, you, you grab onto your wife and, and you let go of all the other women. You're no longer available. You're no longer going after anybody else. You, you, you let go of that so that you can commit to this woman and vice versa. You're going to be disciplined in one area. You've got to let go of the other things. And, 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 and the writer of Hebrews says, hey, let us lay aside every weight. Since we've got this witness, since we've got these guys that have been so faithful and, and, and they've given us powerful testimony and witness of how it was that they obeyed God and they obeyed the call. Wow, since we've got this great cloud, let us lay aside the weights that are in our lives. Let us lay aside the sin. The whole idea of laying aside is, is, is getting rid of, just, you know, lopping it off, you know, getting rid of it, tossing it to the side. No longer is it going to weigh you down. No longer is it going to be a snare for you. If you want to be faithful, if you want to have faithfulness in your life, you've got to get rid of everything to do with unfaithfulness. Get rid of the sin. 
Some of the things are sin in our lives. We wonder why we're not disciplined in the things that God wants us to be disciplined in. And we've got these other things going on in our lives. You know what? When we look at it sometimes, you know, the Bible calls it sin. And we can't be practicing sin over here in kind of a habitual way and say, oh, we're going we're gonna to be disciplined over here. We've got to get rid of that. But you know what? He says, lay aside the weight and the sin. Some of the things aren't sins, but nonetheless, they're a weight to you running the race that God's called you to run. It's a weight to you having the disciplines in your life that God wants you to have in your life. And you got to lay those things aside. you got to get rid of them. You can, you can do better without them. You, you'll be better off in the Lord without them. Now some people say that when you start talking about disciplines and being disciplined, is that you now, oh, now you've become legalistic. Now you're saying, oh, lay aside all this stuff and, 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 and just if you'll commit yourself and oh, now you're talking about being legalistic and shutting everything out and being kind of one of these, you know, kind of square Christians. Now, I'm not talking about being legalistic. I'm not talking about being legalistic. Being faithful is not being legalistic. Being disciplined is not being legalistic. Again, being faithful is not being legalistic. When God said in the law given to Moses, thou shalt not commit adultery, he was saying, hey, be faithful. Be faithful to the commitments that you've made. Be faithful. It's not being legalistic to be faithful to your spouse. No one says, oh, he's really faithful to his wife. He's real legalistic. Do they? You ever heard anybody say that? No. Because being faithful to what you've committed your life to is not being legalistic. It's being faithful. It's being disciplined. It's being focused. It's having discipline in your life. And that's what we've got to have. It's faithfulness. It's discipline. It's commitment. The writer of Hebrews says, get rid of the weights and sin that slow you down, knock you down. Anything that causes you to not be disciplined, not be faithful, causes you to sin, whatever, get rid of it. I don't know how you want to do it. I don't, I, 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 don't, I don't have a plan for you to get rid of it other than just to tell you, hey, get rid of it. Whatever you got to do. If you've got to go home and get some things out of the house, go home and, and, and get some things out of the house. You know, I mean, if, if, if cable TV is a, is a snare to you, get rid of it. Jesus said, oh, oh, you're being hard. I'm not telling you to get rid of cable TV. I'm telling you to get rid of it if it's a snare to you. Jesus said, when he was teaching, he said, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Better to enter into heaven with one hand than to be cast into outer darkness with both hands. And so, hey, we got to get rid of those things. We got to get rid of those things that, you know, hey, the internet. Some, some, you, you, you got to figure out a way to, 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 to get rid of it or get rid of the possibility of, 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 of these things, these, 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 these sins. We got to do it. In 2006, we're going to do it once and for all. And if you've got to go home, you know, there was a, 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 a thing in the Old Testament that, that the children of 
of Israel were reminded of this every year. It was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And remember what they had to do during the Feast of Unleavened Bread? They had to go throughout the whole house and they had to get all the leaven out of the house. Now we know from the Scriptures that leaven is a type of sin. A type is, is, is kind of a, 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 a picture, if you will, of, of a, a spiritual reality or, 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 or whatever. And so leaven in the Bible is a picture of sin. And so what they had to do is they had to get rid of all the leaven in the house. Search out through the house. Get rid of it. Dump it out. Throw it in the trash. This was that whole concept of the the purification process. And this led up to the Passover celebration. And so, hey, maybe you got to clean out the house. Maybe you got, maybe you got some leaven in the house and they're in the forms of weights and sins that are, that are tearing you down. They're tearing you down. They're not helping. I, 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 I tell you what, I'm, I'm here. This is an encouraging word this morning because guess what? They're not helping. Now, if I was, if I was your coach, if I was your coach and you came in and you checked in and said, no, how am I doing? Well, how are you doing? Well, I got this going on over here. Well, guess what? It's not helping you. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. And so, we gotta get, we gotta get rid of these things. When I see people out there running, I see that they've put on a light t-shirt, light shorts, and a pair of light running shoes. I don't see people running around in our nice neighborhoods with, you know, heavy jeans and three sweatshirts and army boots and, you know, you know, a backpack with, you know, a sleeping bag and canteen and everything. I've never seen anybody running around the neighborhood with that on. What I see them running is with some light shorts and a light t-shirt and some, some light running shoes. So that they can run. And guess what? When you show up for the race, you certainly do. You might have some training weights or something in some cases. But I guarantee you when you show up from the weight, have you ever picked up a pair of running shoes? I mean the track shoes that like sprinters wear, like Olympic. Have you ever picked up, you know, they've got the cleats? They are so light. It's unbelievable. Why? Because the least amount of resistance so that they can run the race that's set before them. And that's what the writer here is saying to us. Hey, if you want to develop spiritual disciplines in your life, get rid of all the obstacles. Get rid of all the things that might might ensnare you. Get rid of the sin in your life. And guess what? God's going to be able to begin to bring discipline into your life. There was a woman who dreamed that the rapture was taking place. But much to her consternation, while everyone else was zooming up in the rapture, it was a struggle for her to get even 20 feet off the ground. Looking down, she saw the problem. Around her ankle was a rope, the end of which was tied to all her furniture. When she awoke, she realized that the Lord was telling her she was tied down by all her possessions. You see, it, 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 it could be possessions. It could be sins. It could be even relationships that are hindering your walk with the Lord. They're hindering you from being faithful in what God 
is wanting to do in your life. So the question is, what is it that is slowing you down in your faith and in being faithful? What's keeping you from the disciplines of Christ? What is it? What is keeping you from the faithfulness that you need? Now, you've got to ask yourself those things this morning. After losing the weight and laying aside the sins, we must run the race before us with endurance. The race we are running isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. He says, let us run the race with endurance, the race that is set before us. A marathon is a, is a test of endurance. It's a test of stamina. So the question is, does your faith have the stamina you need to make it to the end? Does your faith have endurance? Instead of endurance, the KJV uses the word patience. Does your faith have patience? Does your faith have endurance? Patience in running sometimes means enduring some pain. Patience in the spiritual race of faith may sometimes mean pain and suffering as well. Pa uh, patience in running sometimes means, you know, sticking to it when, when, when it's not the most comfortable thing in the world. When it doesn't seem like, you know, hey, I don't want to do this today. But for the sake of being disciplined, for the sake of saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to commit to these things. That means I'm going to do it. I'm going to be committed. Hey, you know what? Many of you may have made New Year's resolutions. I'm going to, I'm going to get physically fit. You've, you've joined the gym. You, you've, you've gotten, you've gotten a Bowflex. You know? You, you, you know? You're, you're, you've gotten a, a smoothie machine. You know? You're, you're getting off of the, you know, the breads and all this, you know, this stuff. You, you, you gotta, you gotta do these things so that, so that you can have endurance. Sometimes when you wake up in the morning, you know what? Hey, guess what? I don't want to do push-ups. Well, if you don't want to do push-ups, then you, then, then I guess you don't really want to be fit. You know, I don't, I don't want to run. I don't want cardiovascular workout. All right, then, 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 right? Am I right? Then you don't, then you don't want to be physically fit then. Is the bottom line. Well, I, I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. I, I, I don't want to serve. I don't want to do the things that God wants me to do. Well, then, 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 then you don't want to be a disciple then. Is the bottom line. If you're going to be a marathon runner, you have to like running. I mean, you have to, at some point, you have to say, you know what, I actually enjoy getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning and running 10 miles, you know? I love taking these, you know, protein shakes and, you know, getting out there and, and running. I, I, I like it. Because if you don't embrace the process, you're not going to get to the goal. If you don't like running, you probably won't make it as a marathoner. In the same way, we want to be faithful. We want to be a, a disciple. We want to be disciplined. We want to be obedient to Christ. I don't think there's anybody here that I said, hey, who doesn't want to be obedient to God in 2006? Raise your hand. Nobody. We all want to do that. We all have that. as That's a goal of our lives. Hey, we want to honor the Lord. You want to honor the Lord. I want to be a disciple. I want to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. When I see him face, hey, we all want to hear that. But guess what? We got to love the process then. We have to love the disciplines. We've got to love the tasks. If you want to, if you want to be physically fit, then you got to love getting on that cycle machine and doing that stuff. 
Because if you don't love it, if you don't enjoy it, if you don't embrace it, then you're not going to last two weeks. Oh, you'll last two weeks. Because you got about two weeks of just, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And after that, you're done. And here's where people get messed up. They love the goal, but they don't love the tasks of getting to that goal. They love the outcome. Ah, I want this outcome. I love this outcome. But they don't put that same love and attachment and yes towards the things that are going to take you to that goal. And here's, here's a key in faithfulness. If you can say, I want to be disciplined. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to, I want to grow in being a disciple in 2006. Then here's what we've got to do. Here's what you and I have to do. We have to love the disciplines that Christ wants to bring into our life. We've got to enjoy those things. We've got to do those things. Because that's the way you do it. You don't show up at the Boston Marathon. Like if I showed up at the Boston... When's the Boston Marathon? If There's a marathon today, right? At Disney. Now if I was not here teaching, and I, I was over at Disney and I showed up this morning at 4 a.m., you know? Yeah, I'm going to run the Disney Marathon. Let me tell you, I wouldn't make it. I wouldn't make it. You don't show up at a marathon and just say, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. You know, and then we, we want to wonder why, you know, sometimes God is not doing these things in our life. You know what? If, 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 if Abraham never left Ur, he would have never seen the things. If Abraham never left Ur the Chaldeans, he would have never had that experience where he actually does have the son. He actually, God asked him to take, uh, Isaac up to the, to the, to the, to the place and, and, and sacrifice his son. On the altar, he says, I wanted you to go to a place that I will show you. It turns out it was Mount Moriah, which turns out to be Jerusalem, which is on the same ridge uh, of Golgotha where Jesus Christ was, sac- was uh, sacrificed for you and I 2,000 years later. But if he doesn't leave her, the Chaldeans, if he's not obedient to the call of the Lord upon his life, in actual things, you know, it takes actual getting up and doing, you know, to walk from Iraq to Jerusalem. And that's what you and I have got to do. We've got to love the routines. We've got to love the disciplines. We've got to love the things. And if we will, then you and I are going to see tremendous results in what God is going to do in our lives. Now, the second key, and I've got to hurry. Focus on Jesus, verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. If you're going to develop the spiritual disciplines of Christ, you must then focus on Christ. You must focus on Jesus. Why? He's the one who perfected the race. He's the one who perfected the whole thing. The NIV says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. we got to focus on Christ. Christ is the one who modeled these disciplines for us. He modeled the faith. He modeled how to do it for us. We've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. We've got to say, hey, you know what? Look what Jesus did. 
Jesus was a person of prayer. He was a person of fasting. He was a person of devotion in the Word. He knew the Word. He could recite the Word. He said, it is written. He was a person of serving. He was a person of stewardship. He was a, he was a person of, of evangelism. He went through Samaria to talk to the woman at the well. If we're going to be disciplined, if we're going to have the disciplines of Christ, hey, we got to look to Jesus. we got to look to Him because He had these disciplines. He just didn't say, hey, do these things. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. <laughs> I don't know if you can use that analogy. That doesn't... But you understand what I'm saying? Hey, Jesus did it. Jesus did these things. And we, whose disciple are we? Are we a disciple of Jesus Christ? Hey, Jesus told the disciples, go out and make disciples. Teaching them to obey all things that I have commanded you. And so we want to we wanna learn from Christ. We must look to Jesus because He's the author and finisher of our faith. The idea of author there is, is the word uh, author and finisher. Author is the idea of the, the chief leader, one who takes the lead in a thing. One who's the example, the predecessor in a matter, a pioneer. The finisher is the word perfecter. It's, it's the one who has in his own person raised faith to its perfect perfection and is so set before us, the highest example. And so he's become the author and finisher of the faith. And so during these next weeks, I want to focus on Jesus. We're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. We're going to focus on, we're going to say, hey, what did Jesus do? What were the disciplines that he had in his life? And and what is he wanting to do do in our lives? Jesus endured the cross and its shame because of the joy that was set before him. What was the joy? Chapter 1 quotes from Psalm 45 of the throne of God. Psalm 45, 6 and 7, it says this, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. That's the NIV translation. By anointing you with the oil of joy. Jesus was anointed with an oil of joy. But for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. What? He was anointed with a joy, an oil of joy, but for the joy, he endured the cross. You've got to have the anointing of joy. There, there, you love righteousness. Verse 7, hey, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. There's that idea of throwing, you know, loving this to get rid of this. You've got to love this over here to get rid of this. You just can't say, well, I want to get rid of this. Because you'll, you'll go right back to it. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. So Jesus had was anointed with a joy. Do you have an anointing of joy upon your life to follow Him? But, 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 but for the pleasure, but for the joy that is set before you to walk with Christ? To be obedient to Him. Oh, let it be a joy. Let the anointing of, of the Holy Spirit come upon you so that, so that it's literally a joy that's set before you. That, that for that, you, you, you're, 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 you're ready, willing, and able to, oh, let me do whatever it is that Jesus has set before me. Do you have this joy? Are you looking forward to what God's going to do in your life? So if you would like to go after lost treasure here this morning, the lost treasure of the spiritual disciplines of Jesus Christ. A priceless joy. 
of the disciplines of Jesus, then let us set our course on developing spiritual disciplines in the year 2006. Begin to develop the spiritual disciplines of Christ in your life. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says this, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love You and we thank You, God, for Your precious Word, Lord, and we thank You, Jesus, for Your precious example of living this life. And Lord, I pray that You would help us, each one here, to develop spiritual disciplines in 2006. Jesus, Lord, help us to develop the disciplines that You had in Your life. God, we ask You to do it. In Jesus' name, Amen.